1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rob McCarran.
0: Hashtag authority. Hashtag Steph Bouncy.
1: Hashtag
0: Smackdown 15. Jeff Hawkins.
1: You done digging that hole?
0: You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarran and Jeff
1: Hawkins. Dance on your grave, dirt so- sheet writer. Celebrity worship and hero worship should not be confused. Yet, we confuse them every day, and by doing so, we come dangerously close to depriving ourselves of all real models. We lose sight of the men and women who do not simply seem great because they are famous, but are famous because they are great. We come closer and closer to degrading all fame into notoriety. Daniel Burston, Shake them ropes, 133. Daniel Bryan's head, Vince McMahon's arm, CM Punk's back. All cause for discussion. In addition, fast lane shaped up, Rob and his girlfriend ship out to Indianapolis for NXT, and Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio have an accessory war as it's belt versus mask on WWE's Top 100 Matches to See Before You Die, number 45 from the Bash 2009. I'm Jeff Hawkins, and this past week, a little bit of sad news to start the show Axel Rotten passed away, and Rob, for those who have listened for a while, or maybe you're new to the show, worked for Axel in IWA Mid South. And while I don't have a personal connection, he did. And I wanted to give him some time, if he had some memories of Axel, to share them right now. So here's your host for Shake Them Ropes, Mr. Rob McCarron.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I had a few instances where I worked with Axel Rotten for IWA Mid-South. Um, you know, Ian Rotten would bring him in a few times in, what, 2007, I think it was. You know, the Candido Cup, which Ian Rotten tried to run this big tag team tournament in Midlothian, Illinois, Uh, he had Axel Rotten come in to Plainfield, Indiana for one show in particular. He booked Axel Rotten for a show in Plainfield, Indiana, and all he wanted Axel to do that night was pretend his plane was late. Hmm. So we did the entire card because Axel, I don't know if he didn't want to work that show or if Ian didn't want him to work that show or what was going on. Uh, Maybe Axel was just in the area. I don't know. But the whole show happens, and then the main event is this uh, this cage match, this big, you know, hardcore, like, death match with Ian, Insane Lane, Tank, a whole bunch of people. And the angle was everyone would get taken out but Ian. So Ian is stuck in there getting beat up, and all of a sudden Axel, his plane arrived. He got to the building, and he hmm. rushes out in street clothes with his gym bag still on his shoulder, running to the ring to try and help out Ian Rotten. <laughs> um, but my biggest memory of Axel rotten was, yeah, just, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, he died at 44 years old, uh, in Baltimore, uh, earlier this week or last week, um, the Candido cup tournament, he was in it. He teamed up with Mickey knuckles. There was a match between those two and the Basham brothers that I was the referee of. And, you know, Axel Rotten was super serious about tag team wrestling. He wasn't just in tag teams because he didn't want to be a singles wrestler or because he couldn't be a singles wrestler. He liked tag teams, and he really took it seriously. Uh, and you may not, you know, think that just if you were a casual observer of ECW in the 90s and Axel Rotten. Um, but he would he would make sure that me as a referee, that I knew what was going on, that I was in the right place. He was, he was giving advice to me um, because there was one spot during the match where it was... Knuckles and Rotten against the Basham Brothers, where I was straight up looking right at double teaming. And after the match, Axel Rotten nicely, politely, you know, brings me over and, you know, this is what you didn't do right. This is where your eyes should have been at, you know, uh, for tag team. This is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't yelling at me. He wasn't berating me. Uh, He wasn't, you know, talking down to me like I was some, you know, dipshit who was just working the show and he didn't respect. You know, he was trying to help me. And it was really cool. I didn't get to work with Axel Rotten that much. And maybe even at the time I didn't think too much of it. But uh he, he took his job seriously and it's a shame that, you know, he was uh he was always seemingly, you know, troubled. And whether that played a part in his death or not, I mean he he lived his life and his life is now cut short at forty four and uh it's a shame.
1: Yeah, Axel, for me at least, is a performer who <laughs> He's part of one of my most fun experiences in wrestling and part of one of my least fun experiences watching wrestling live. Um, Most fun was February 95 when I went to Double Tables at ECW. Uh, That was the first match after he and Ian broke up Bad Breed, and that was their first match against one another. And, And that whole card I just really, really enjoyed. And then later when I moved out here to California, I went to an XPW King of the Death match tournament it was not fun i'll put it that way i thought i was gonna die in the middle of it it's just everything that was bad about hardcore wrestling fandom at that time in one place and so but anyways um not that we're going to anything much lighter but the wwe is a bit lighter in terms of entertainment except of course for the retirement speech of uh, daniel Bryan, and i thought it was one of the best speeches i've ever heard In a wrestling ring, Um, I think Daniel Bryan is one of those people who just exudes uh, genuineness in terms of how he feels and his connection with the fans. Um, While he, you know, while he's he has great comedic timing and was a great comedic character, I'll still remember him for being one of the great virtuosos in the ring. I came to him. Not relatively late, but a few years into his indie career at a PWG show here called Giant Size Annual Number no. 4, which was a lot of fun. Um, you have a little bit more experience with him in Ring of Honor. Um, overall, just what did you think of uh, Daniel Bryan's retirement on Monday night?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like it's been coming for a while, right? Um, yeah. I mean, we haven't had Daniel Bryan in the ring since April of last year. And even going even further, since his world title run and the injury that took the world title away from him, it just doesn't seem like he's been around, like he hasn't been a part of WWE, uh, which I think makes it a little a little easier. Um, it's not like he had been working a full-time schedule you know, ever since the title run, and then all of a sudden this injury cuts it short, kind of like Edge. When Edge went out, he was a full-timer, and then boom, the next day he wasn't. So we, we were kind of ready and built up for this. At the same time, yeah, it was an excellent speech, an excellent final segment of WWE Raw that went about a half an hour. And it's a shame that he's done. This is obviously something that he loved to do, that he wanted to do for so long, and it just gets taken away from you. Like If something that I had loved so much would just get taken away from me, I would probably not go as easily as Daniel Bryan. Um, not, not easily per se, but accepting of it. As, uh, as much as Daniel Bryan seems to, is, seems to have accepted it. And everything we know now, I mean, obviously he was worried about his future. Uh, you know, Brie Bella, his wife, was worried about their future. And he's taking steps to make sure that they have a future, that they can have a family, they can live a life, and Daniel Bryan's not going to be dead when he's 40, and that's a good thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, talent-wise, it sucks. It sucks for him that he loved to do this and now it's taken away from him. But in the long run, it'll be, it'll be uh, you know, the best for him and the best for his family. But you're right, that segment, the final segment of Raw was absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, for me, Daniel Bryan's one of those guys who did wrestling because he loved wrestling as opposed to, like, in any performing art, you have those people who are doing it to become famous rather than because they love it so much. And to me, Daniel Bryan loved everything about wrestling, uh, you know, the live experience, even if it's in like a small theater of like 200 people, you know, he really, really loved that whole experience. He loved the experience of being on the road. I I, I put on the wrestling road diaries um, after raw and was kind of listening to it and watching the extras. And there's an, there's a speech on the extras where he's running a workshop and he says a lot of the same things that he said in this retirement speech. He, you know, the whole wrestling doesn't owe us anything. We, You should do this because you love it. You know, and on that he goes, you know, even if you're just doing this for a weekend thing, you know, to do it in front of your buddies a couple of times a year, that's great. There's room for everybody in here. But if you want to make this a career, you have to take some of the things that now I have to take seriously. And it's really a nice insight into how he made the transition from say a ring of honor to WWE and that entire mindset. The only thing that gave me a bit of a hink in my, in my way I felt about it was that whole, I'm five foot eight and one seventy, and nobody expected me to be where I am today. And that sounds like, it sounds like an honest line to me, but it also sounds like one that, WWE would put in there <laughs> in some ways because who says that you can't make it in wrestling if you're 5'8", 170? Other than the WWE, which always gives that underdog thing and is kind of doing that now with AJ Styles. And you're like, uh, you know, you control the mechanism of what makes stars. And in retrospect, to me, Daniel Bryan is top five of guys that If WWE were more of a straight wrestling company, the amount of money they left on the table with this guy, it's up there with, for me, Dusty and Flair. What about you?
0: They left a lot of money on the table with him, yes. And, you know, on VOW Live this week, Joe Lanza was saying the same thing, like, you know. um, And it's not necessarily focusing on the negative, but yeah, Daniel Bryan could have been bigger. Daniel Bryan could have been that much more. But we can't just blame WWE for that. Now, Daniel Bryan is the type of guy who loved wrestling. As you say, he loved it more than being famous. He yeah. he got famous by accident. He he really did. You know, compared to CM Punk, who wanted to be the best all time, wanted to be known as the best all time. You know, really worked to kind of get the highlights and the uh, and the spotlight. Daniel Bryan wasn't that way. He no. was just going throughout his career, being the best at what he did, and not worrying about where he ended up. He wanted it for the the thrill and love of wrestling. Um, And he kind of got famous by accident. But part of that is he wasn't politicking for himself like CM Punk was. He wasn't Mm -hmm. pushing for the biggest spots on any card. So yes, could Vince and company, could they have pushed him more and given him a bigger standing in the company and made more money with him? Yes. But we also have to look at Daniel Bryan. Could he have pushed for those spots more? Yes. And he didn't. Um, But on the other side, And what I like to do is focus on the positive with Daniel Bryan is we had an incredible year with Daniel Bryan. We had the WrestleMania 30 main event. We had one of the most infamous and memorized moments in WrestleMania history with Daniel Bryan. This guy opened and closed a WrestleMania, closed it by winning the championship. Having one of the biggest moments of all time at what is possibly still co- to be considered the biggest WrestleMania of all time—not necessarily in numbers wise, but in uh, in popularity, in critical opinion—one of the biggest WrestleManias of all time, if not the biggest. Daniel Bryan stood tall at the end of it by himself, and put that together with the career he had on the Indies, a lot of matches that he loves, the one the type of wrestling he wanted to do. This is a career that, even though cut short, even though not as much as it could have been, is still very, very easy to be proud of.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody should take anything away from his career. And in fact, there's a lot that he did in WWE that goes unnoticed because he's such a great in ring performer. Like, to me, there's nobody who surpassed the ceiling. Of what people thought he could be in terms of say comedic timing, than Daniel Bryan. And that comes, oddly enough, for me, watching him as a performer, because I watched a bunch of clips of his today in term in terms of like vignettes, you know, the the uh, the anger management, the heel run he was having when when he was with AJ, um the, the whole bear thing when he was on commentary that I sent you. Yeah. That comes out of his humility. Mm-hmm. and comes out of his lack of ego in that he has no pretense. He's not self-aware when he when he was acting or he was a performer, so he went all in in terms of being an actor. You know, you can see some guys where, they go, where they're thinking, oh, this skit is a little bit beneath me, and you can kind of tell on their face. You can never do that with Daniel Bryan. He was game for just about anything. Even if it was terrible, he still made it great. And... The other thought I had was even though they're considered negatives in his career, there were WWE has this thing where they have guys that they want to be stars and they have guys that they want to use their heft to make stars. And I think Daniel Bryan was always on one side of the ledger and he found himself on the other side for a very short time. That, that's very memorable. But at the same time, when he was on the side of the ledger where he was kind of being used to groom other people a couple things actually helped him make it to the other side of the ledger. One was being fired in that nexus angle, which to me in the long run saved him from, for better or worse for Wade Barrett, he was always going to be used as the guy to help build Wade Barrett in that thing. And then when he got, um, oh God, I lost my train of thought just now. When, When he got injured, it kind of saved him from the Brock Lesnar plans that were going on where, you know, Cena ended up taking that beating um, as a transition to WrestleMania, which only helps kind of his legacy in, in my opinion, in that he wasn't always going to be used as the guy who they use their, their indie darling status to help the guys that they actually want. Um, But, you know, overall as a career, you can, you can say he, surpassed all expectations. I think.
0: Yeah. I, he certainly, I mean, as much as it could have been better surpassing expectations, I don't think you can doubt with Daniel Bryan. Cause who thought he was going to be the main event of WrestleMania when he was signed? Yeah. It was kind of like CM Punk where a lot of the, uh, the wrestling fans out there thought, Oh, it's great that he signed, but geez, it's never going to get as good as Daniel or Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson and ring of honor. It's never going to get that great. He's going to get there. He's going to get buried for his size no one was expecting him to be main event of WrestleMania. And guess who made that happen? Vince McMahon and WWE. Yes, they made it happen because of the fan uh, output. They made it happen because CM Punk left. They made it happen because Batista's return bombed.
1: And uh, yes, they, bur- they buried him a little bit in the beginning there. Oh, yeah. It was, but it was, it was for a purpose. But let's I mean.
0: be real. You know, This guy made it to the WrestleMania main event, and we should mm-hmm. all be thrilled with that. It was a fantastic WrestleMania. A WrestleMania, by the way, and we talked about it leading up to that show – a WrestleMania that could have been absolutely awful oh, had yeah. it not been for the Daniel Bryan story. And then it turned out to be one of the best WrestleManias ever.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I had another thought and I'm, I'm kind of blanking on it, right? What now. is
0: happening with you? You're I sub- don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm usually the co-host. I'm, I'm kind of hosting right now. You are. Uh, yeah. What, what's um, next? Oh, well, we can get into, yep. The, uh, during this celebration of Daniel Bryan's career. Or after. At the, or after. At the end. Mm-hmm. After the yes spot.
0: Finally the meat of the show.
1: A couple of seconds in, in, almost before blackout, Titus O'Neil grabs Vince McMahon's arm and there seems to be a playful shove. Well, it turns out that WWE did not look kindly on that and suspended Titus originally for 90 days. I believe that has been reduced to 60. Nope, it's 90. It's 90 yep. um, preliminary thoughts while we still await more details.
0: It's stupid. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you want to send a message because the rumors out there are that Vince is just sending a message to the entire roster that, Hey, we're a professional organization. There's been a lot of goofing around lately and you can't goof around with your boss and you should be keeping this a respectable professional show. Those are the rumors going out there about why he had such a hard stance on Titus O'Neill. This guy, Titus O'Neill, is just being playful with Vince McMahon. you know, They probably have some type of relationship where they've been, you know, you know, kind of playful before. I don't think Titus just took this chance at the end of Raw one night to finally get a uh, relationship built with Vince McMahon. I don't think he would do that. Titus O'Neill, a bright guy, a bona fide sports star at the University of Florida, a celebrity dad of the year. I mean, if you were to pick one man of the year in WWE and you excluded John Cena, Titus O'Neil's probably it, mm-hmm. right? This guy is everything they want their superstars to be. Doesn't complain publicly about his push or lack thereof, goes out in the community. I mean, this guy is probably the first person in WWE uh, to surpass The Miz as the second community go-to guy for WWE. Because obviously John Cena's number one, The Miz for a while there had been number two, and Titus O'Neil has seemingly surpassed The Miz as number two. So if this guy goes on stage, has a playful exchange with Vince McMahon, and Vince doesn't take kindly to it, you know what your response is? You know, accept the apology of Titus, punish him for a week or so, kick him off the next TV, but three months especially during WrestleMania season where this was probably the three-month period where Titus O'Neal would make more money than the rest of his year, this is completely—the punishment does not fit the crime, and the criminal doesn't fit the crime, the criminal doesn't fit the punishment because Titus O'Neal here is what you want your guys to be. He is setting the example for the rest of the roster. You punishing him is, is doing so much damage— doing more damage than what I think even Vince would even conceive. This is not the right guy to be sending a message with. Titus O'Neil should not only be there on TV, this guy should be getting more TV time than he usually gets. This guy should be highlighted as a beacon of what you want your superstars to be. And instead, Vince McMahon is punishing him. He is punishing Titus O'Neil. He's the dad of the year, a brand ambassador, a bona fide sports star. Fuck, Titus O'Neil is too good for WWE.
1: This is purely because it was caught on camera, yes?
0: It was barely even caught on camera. Yes, probably a little bit for that. Okay. But it it was barely there. And I didn't even know it was Titus O'Neil, honestly. I didn't know who it was. And then when I kind of looked closer, I saw the arm. I thought it could have easily been Mark Henry. You know, I could only kind of see a little bit of who was even doing this with Titus O'Neil or with Vince McMahon.
1: My point is it was not even a month ago. Where Vince McMahon comes out as a performer, as a referee. Well, no, you can't no stop. I uh, stop
0: right there. You cannot compare these two, and you cannot do anything as far as what's obviously an on-screen persona. You just can't. No, that's not a good talking a, this, point. No,
1: no, no. This wasn't an on-screen persona thing. This was just oh, yeah, the okay. cameras were yeah. off. Yeah. And yeah, that was caught on up. camera. How now, about you? That was caught on camera suspend and yourself. standard. Suspend yes, yourself. That's my point. This is a double standard. This is, I mean. Cameras weren't even on Brad Maddox, and he called people pricks, which you know that's another punishment that didn't fit the crime. It just looked like they were looking for a reason to get rid of him, and there it is. But in terms of Vince McMahon had something far worse accidentally caught on camera. Nothing.
0: If that were John Cena, yes, who had gone and you know raised Vince's hand or or her. pulled them across like that so they could do something if that were john cena john cena is not suspended for three months today correct and i don't want to go into making it you know anything more than what it is that vince just was in a bad mood or wasn't you know thrilled with whatever happened there um you know there are going to be people out there that turn it into you know a star versus a non-star there are some people out there that might turn it into a race thing You know, that, that Titus O'Neil doesn't look like there, there's going to be people that turn it into so many things. I'm trying not to turn it into what, you know, more than what it could possibly be, but this is not the guy Titus O'Neil is what you want your superstars to be and suspending him for WrestleMania. If I'm Titus O'Neil, what if you're Titus O'Neil right now, Jeff, and you know, it's a good job. He gets to travel. He gets to do a lot of the things he wants to do. He, he gets to be an ambassador. By working for WWE, he gets a lot of outlets that he would not normally have by himself. Um, but would you be mad enough? Would you be upset enough with this to where you might consider quitting WWE? Because Titus O'Neil certainly seems like he'd be fine in other areas. This is a guy that gets on Center. This is a guy that is welcomed by the University of Florida. I'm sure if he wanted a non-entertainment job, he would easily get one. So he obviously likes doing what he's doing. Um, at an age where he's probably never going to be a main event guy. He just loves doing what he's doing. But this might put me over the edge and I might consider leaving WWE if I were him.
1: I'd be more confused than angry, I think, in terms of the overreaction. I wouldn't be angry just yet, I don't think. I I, I don't know how much he's making off of WrestleMania necessarily because I think he'd be stuck in a battle royal. Yeah, but he'd be but on a the payoff. show. There's a payoff and, and he'd be on the show, Yes. And if I was going to put some phony narrative to it, I'd say Vince is angry that there was an interruption in breaking his character of crying crocodile tears for the loss of Daniel Bryan, which I don't know if he cares that much if Daniel Bryan's gone, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think it's a race angle at all, but I I, I think Titus O'Neil, at least in terms of interviews I've seen where he's not, quote unquote, in character, is level-headed enough. To regret what he did, not be that angry about it, but I could see him being very confused at the reaction because it doesn't fit the crime at all.
0: It just doesn't.
1: It, I, if, it, you it really wanna, if you really
0: want to, if you want to really find an excuse to, you know, punish somebody and and make an example to the roster, this wasn't it. This absolutely yeah. wasn't it. And it's and I, Titus. I other... o- it's freaking Titus O'Neil. Do you see what this guy does? You're celebrating the dad a year. You know, Vince McMahon's Twitter is celebrating him as this beacon of hope for the bri- the brand and the roster. And then to do, to do this for something barely anyone noticed. If Titus O'Neil is not suspended today, no one is remembering that final second of raw on Monday night. No one is caring about any of this. And you can easily just have a meeting with the roster mm. and, you know, say, okay, We're going to dock this guy a pay for one week. We're going to do something. uh, Make it private. Yes,
1: you have a one-on-one meeting. You put out a memo, and you don't put the spotlight on yourself like this because it's doing a heck of a lot more damage this way than any other.
0: Titus O'Neil is just too good for them. They're lucky to have him. They're lucky that he wants to be a wrestler, and he's demonstrating the brand so well. This is a guy that, not to just belabor this point and make it, you know, you know, repeat it and whatnot. This is the guy that you can send out there and show that, hey, WWE is a great organization and you don't have a lot of guys you can do that with. You can't do that with a Dean Ambrose. You can't do that with a lot of your roster.
1: He's a guy that turns on charm and it's not a phony kind of charm. Like say, you know, I think the Miz is really good in the public relations role, but there are times he just comes off as a little too eager for it. You know what I'm saying? When you see Titus O'Neil in these public appearances, he looks like he's actually enjoying himself and happy to be around there, and happy that he is making a difference. And yeah, it's 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 the wrong guy at 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 the wrong time. You don't do this kind of thing.
0: Now, it's not all bad for Titus. Um, Titus O'Neil is in Las Vegas today, uh, filming an episode of Tanked, which is a show on Animal Planet. Right. Um, so, I mean, he's got other. Th- he, this is this is kind of my point. He's
1: got other things going on. Speaking of guys who may be too good for the WWE, any comments on SmackDown spoilers?
0: Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on Twitter <laughs> at Shake Them Ropes. Uh, Titus O'Neil, a follower of us on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes. So join Titus and follow us at Shake Them Ropes. Jeff can be found at Crap Game 13. Voices of slash Amazon. I'm mentioning that link right now uh, because if you use the Voices of slash Amazon link, you can go shop on Amazon just as you normally do. And any purchases you make, a portion goes to help Voices of Wrestling and Shake Them Ropes. And I mention it right now because uh, the pre-orders have begun for NXT's greatest matches on Blu-ray and DVD. And before we get into anything with SmackDown spoilers or whatever with that, um, do you know why this NXT greatest match DVD Blu-ray is somewhat a interesting and big deal, Jeff? Um, no, because there are not only the best matches of NXT TV takeovers and whatnot, there are full unreleased matches Ooh. that are making their way on this DVD, including one that people have been calling for to be released for a long time. CM Punk and Seth Rollins going up against Cassius Ono and Cesaro. Nice. Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli, the kings of wrestling reunite in full sale to wrestle CM Punk and Seth Rollins. That is on the DVD and Blu-ray and you can pre-order it right now. It comes out in a few weeks. Uh, pre-order it right now on Blu-ray at voicesofwrestling.com slash Amazon. We will put a link to the Blu-ray DVD in the podcast description. So you can click on it, go and pre-order that DVD because uh, I'm going to get it because it's interesting. I want to see that match. And uh, not every match is on the WWE network. So is it, it is an interesting DVD that you should go get and support voices of wrestling at the same time. Take it away, Joe. <laughs>
1: Well, as I was saying, I mean let let's go over the rest of Raw before we we get into anything later in the week. Anything yeah, in, in that's fact, because I,
0: I don't want to spend a lot of time on SmackDown spoilers. Okay, um, Near do cause, I because
1: I don't want to spoil it for people necessarily. I just want to know if, right. if you want to comment on so it or not. So the but key, the key thing
0: I want to know what Jeff Hawkins thinks. The key things from Raw are uh,
1: the Daniel Bryan retirement, um, Dean Ambrose getting killed by <laughs> Brock. Uh, was, you know, the big storyline throughout there. Um, I found the the one-hour rebuild of Ryback to be crushed by the Wyatts somewhat interesting for, f- just because of the news that Vince McMahon has taken a quite a personal interest in the building of Braun Strowman through WrestleMania. And the other thing that interests me, I like little things, the Easter egg. That uh, WWE kind of gave its fans during the uh, Sasha Banks commentary, where Sasha comes out in gear, but also wearing Bailey slap bracelets, which I thought was an interesting shout out. But um, overall, kind of a, you know, a, a, as we like to say, moving pieces around the chessboard kind of show. What about you? Because it seems like you're setting me up for something.
0: No. Okay. I'm not setting you up for anything necessarily.
1: All right. Well, Rob, what what did you think? Uh, Any other takeaways from you from raw?
0: I just thought, yeah, no, I mean, it was an interesting, like you mentioned, I mean, you know, heels getting losses because babyface is cheated. Yeah. Brock Brock (laughs) Lesnar. I mean, you had the Dolph Ziggler thing with Kevin Owens. I don't know what's Uh happening there. Um, A lot of this stuff I just figure is them kind of stretching things out as we go into fast lane and WrestleMania season. A lot of it's just stretching things out in my opinion.
1: I think someone put out a memo that said baby faces can no longer be stupid. So they're overcompensating a bit by having them cheat. It's it's it. it it, Yeah. It confused me quite a bit as well.
0: Yeah. But I mean, no other takeaways. I mean, this really was the Daniel Bryan raw. Nothing else on this raw is going to get remembered. Right. After, after the Daniel Bryan stuff. So whatever they do, they do. Um, It's again, another week of Brock Lesnar and Roman reigns, not touching another week where Dean Ambrose is kind of, you know, he's, he's just the guy to be there to take the beating and take the loss no matter who wins. Uh, so he's just there. You know, if you're, if you're expecting Dean Ambrose to be in there to kind of get the crowds hopes up and, and, uh, and win this match at Fastlane, he's got a 0% chance.
1: I do have a question now that it's official fast lane that Charlotte will be facing Brie Bella.
0: Yes, she will. Is,
1: is this Brie Bella's walk into the sunset with her husband?
0: Uh, we're close. If it's not here, it's at WrestleMania, but yeah, I mean, Daniel Bryan, you, Daniel Bryan said it in his own promo. They're looking to start a family that kind of takes two people. And Brie is kind of a very important piece in that, uh, to where, I mean, if a family is beginning, she won't be wrestling anymore.
1: Yeah. My concern about Daniel Bryan at this stage and the Brie connection goes into this is that he has so many familial, relations with wrestling that he could never truly just like for me, I'd love to see him just go to college and get like a degree in environmental science and go do that for a while. But see his father-in-law is a former WWE executive. His sister-in-law is a wrestler. His potential brother-in-law is a, is a huge star for WWE. Will they be able to just walk away and have a family and live happily ever after?
0: Yeah, I think they will. Okay. Okay. I think they'll be in uh you know wherever and it'll be kind of way. I mean they're if Bree goes off the road to start a family, they're on their own. I mean John Cena's on the road all the time. Bree, you know, Nikki Bell's on the road all the time. Are they going to talk to them? Yes, of course.
1: Oh yeah. I I didn't mean cut off all contact. No. I just meant but Is I mean, there going to be is there going to be that pull that, you know, well maybe Daniel can come back and train oh, well, no, so he'll no, just no, no, no. be around and th- yeah.
0: No, there's going to be a hole in Daniel Bryan's life for a short time here without wrestling because You know, even for the last year while he wasn't in the ring, he was still trying to work his way back. Right. I mean, he was trying to get into the ring at some point. So wrestling was still at the forefront of his mind. There will be a hole there for a little bit. But. Now that's closed. I don't see Daniel Bryan sticking around. I mean, I know they offered him all these other jobs, but they were offering him those jobs in hopes that he would take them and not want to be a wrestler anymore. He didn't want those jobs. He's not going to come back. He's not going to come back, be an announcer. He's not going to come back, be a trainer at the performance center. He's not going to come back full time because the more he spends around wrestling, the more he's going to miss being in the ring. This is a guy who didn't commentate on ROH shows. He didn't commentate on, you know, Shikara shows unless he had to. Uh, He didn't commentate on shows that he was on. He doesn't want to be a commentator, doesn't want to have another job in wrestling. He wants to be a wrestler. He is going to go away. You're going to see him every once in a while like Edge, but he's done. You're not going to see him regularly anymore, ever.
1: And here's the point I I had forgotten earlier, but it ties into what you're saying right here. He's a guy that's the, oddly enough, the opposite of what William Regal says, where you're going to be remembered for those, you know, those, those entertaining moments. Daniel Bryan's going to be a guy who's remembered for his in-ring work and these phenomenal matches that he had over, say, well, I think he's going to have that. But I mean, in terms of what, what we think of him, I I think it's going to be matches at WrestleMania. I think it's going to be the ROH work. As opposed to, say, a promo he cut
0: once. But at the same time, we think about all the good of William Regal that way, too, right? I mean, we're the type of audience that thinks of the in-ring stuff. We think of William Regal not for the, you know, kiss-my-ass moment with Vince. We think of William Regal for, you know, being this great grappling wrestler, uh, being a trainer— in wwe being a talent scout you know all his in-ring stuff
1: let me let me nuance the point i think daniel bryan thinks of himself in those great matches as opposed to regal thinking of himself in those comedic oh matches. yes oh yes those For, are the ones that are fun. because
0: of. that from that perspective yes because william regal yeah. will be the first one to tell you that you know he he thinks those are his coolest things but brian danielson doesn't do that you know you're you're right there but as far as fans remember him the casual fans are going to remember him for the yes chant. They're going to remember him for the hug angle with Kane. They're not going to remember him for a 90-minute match with Austin Aries. They're not going to remember him for taking Chris Jericho on his first night in to 12 minutes in a great match. They're going to remember those funny moments. That's what the casual fans will remember.
1: Right. And, and and you know, he was really the first performer where you go, guys, you got to see this match he did on YouTube. I mean, in terms of wide the widespreadness of YouTube and as a performer, I think he's that first guy that people really got their friends who didn't know who he was to do that. Rob, you tested the boundaries of your relationship this week. You took your girlfriend on a road trip to NXT Indianapolis. How was it? How was it?
0: We went to, uh, yeah, we went to NXT Indianapolis on Saturday Got general admission tickets, not really knowing, but maybe it was just my fault for not checking too much. But uh, it was a cool setup. I mean, we I've been to the Marah Egyptian uh, Egyptian room in Indianapolis many many times. It's a very cool room. It's mainly for small uh, concerts for you know B tier and under comedians. It's a room with tables. It's a banquet hall really. Um, so general admission in the building were were standing room only. There were no oh. seats for you. It was standing Oof. room only. Uh, unless you had a reserve seat, you were in general admission, you were kept to a certain area in the building, and you uh, had to stand. So, Question.
1: Is this her first professional wrestling show? This is
0: her first wrestling show ever. <laughs> so we travel from Fort Wayne to Indianapolis. We go there. Now, we were lucky uh, because everyone with a GA seat was either getting beer or at the con- you know at the merch table or getting as close as they could to stand and watch the show. Now, in the back of the, the room, there were couches. So we go and sit down at a couch because I'm, I'm there with her. So from the moment I knew that she was coming with me, I was not going to be, you know, trying to get the best seat I could. I wasn't trying to be as close as possible. And I'm usually not that guy anyway. Um, so we go and sit the, on the couch. And she's like, oh, honey, I want you to be able to enjoy the show. I know we're so far back. And I'm like, hey, first of all, this is comfortable. I don't want to stand for three hours, and then once the show began to be able to see, we just sat on the very uh, top, the back part of the couch. Nice. So we we were still sitting. We were taller than everybody, and we could see the ring. And the first match in the show, uh, yeah, my girlfriend's never been to wrestling. Um, kind of thinks I'm a nerd for even liking wrestling, uh, but she still went with me. Um, she's, yeah, that- she's a good girlfriend.
1: That sounds, you know, there's the judgmentalness, but hey, I'll go along with it because you really like it. So that's a good thing, I think. That's And, pop- and God knows
0: all the lame shit I've done for her. So <laughs> it's about <laughs> <Really>? time she <laughs> did on, something I'm, for me.
1: What's an example? Give, give me an example of something lame she likes, because I, I can go all day on lame shit I've done for girlfriends that never wanted to even go to wrestling.
0: Well, I mean, we've done something. There was uh, last summer. Uh, her family's really into this thing in Northern Indiana called, called Hog Hill, where okay. it's just a big biker rally. Like it's a weekend where, you know, all these bikers come by and some people with their RVs come in and, you know, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of beer drinking. It's a lot of bikers and all this shit. Okay. And, <laughs> and I went with her to that and, you know, it wasn't my scene. I don't really think it's hers either, but her, you know, her aunt and uncle kind of like it. Her family kind of likes it. Uh so we do that. I've done that. I you know, I've gone shopping with her many, many times, but that's a normal thing I think most boyfriends have to do, probably. Mm -hmm. Uh so you know it may be considered normal, but at the same time I did it. Uh so I've done some stuff. So I I asked her, you know, originally I was gonna have another friend go. He backed out, so I'm like, okay, I want to go. Right. I don't want to go alone. And hey, would you be interested in coming with me? And she's like, Yeah, sure, it'll we'll make a day of it. We ended up going to, to the circle center mall. Uh, So we made a day of it in Indianapolis. Uh, And then the show comes. All right. The the very first match is Asuka versus Emma. Nice. And I was glad that was the first match because one, it's women. And, you know, she looked right away. I'm like, oh, there's girls. I'm like, yeah. And they're pretty good. So I knew this wasn't going to be embarrassing. Like if I, if we were taking her to a WWE show and it was going to be Tyler
1: Breeze. Well, no, no, not even Tyler (laughs) Breeze
0: or anything, but like. It's not that bad now because now you have Sasha Banks and you have Becky Lynch and they're and they're wrestling out there. It's oh, not it's okay. not bad like the days when it was Christy Hemi versus Ashley Massaro, right? right. Uh, so it's not that bad anymore. Um, but I knew Emma and Oscar would go out there have a really good match. So she's into it because it's the women. Uh, she's into it because it's pretty good, and she was really liking it. But. Unlike most of us who go to these shows, like you know, when the main event comes to the ring, that's the match we're waiting for. That's the match that we spent the entire night building up to. For her, she didn't have a match she was really looking forward to, so she just got more tired as the night went on and was like, "Okay, I've seen enough matches. Like, you know, I saw that one that was really good at the at the start, uh, and then you know, she liked the Bailey match too, uh, but the Bailey match was about third on the card." They switched it up a little bit. Bailey defended the title against uh, Alexa Bliss, third on the show. And then the final women's match later on the show was Nia Jax versus Billy Kay, uh, which the crowd did not enjoy. No. At Indianapolis. They they <laughs> chanted, this is boring. It was too long. It was, it was a lot of plotting. Um, but she really liked the first half of the show. Once the intermission came, uh, she was kind of over it. And right. she was trying not to fall asleep. So we we left we left the show halfway through the main event because I'm like I saw everything I need to see and I don't want her to be too tired and you know have a bad experience. So as soon as the main event kind of started, we left.
1: Always leave early. You ailed it. Excellent. Yeah. What did you think? What did you now? What did you think of the matches
0: that you saw at least? Oh, that was a good show. I mean, Oscar versus Emma was great. They also did uh, because Finn Balor was hurt. Finn Balor had an injured ankle, so he don't he didn't wrestle on the show. Um, They did a best two out of three falls for the tag team titles. With American Alpha going up against Dash and Dawson. and that match was phenomenal. Nice. I mean if I was rating that match live, I'm giving it four and a half on the snowflake scale. Yeah, I <laughs> love the Tag team match. I think most others most others really enjoyed it. They went on forever. I mean, that match m- may have lasted 20, 25 minutes. Uh, it went on for a good amount of time. The show overall was pretty good. Um, it, it kind of filled me up on NXT live. like I don't need to go see NXT House shows anymore. Right, because there's not much new that I'm going to be able to see, and that's what I worry about with NXT. Like when they hit the road, they're going to do great first time through these markets. It's the second time if they try to go through markets again that, you know, you might see a little bit less enthusiasm and so forth. Uh, but no, the the show was good. She had a good time uh, for the day. It was an overall positive experience. I won't take her to another show unless she really yeah. wanted to just go with me. But like I, I don't think she would enjoy. Uh, going to wrestling shows more. It was a cool one-time experience, but it's not, it's not really her thing.
1: Okay. Uh, San Jose kind of did the same for me. It's one of those things. It spoiled me and I'm looking very forward to the Dallas card, but if they come in for just a normal house show in Los Angeles, it's going to have to be a special card for me to go. Now, one last note on NXT, we may be getting some call-ups as working on the main roster shows in San Jose. Enzo, Cass, and Carmella. Which is kind of interesting that Carmella might make the main roster before Bailey, but um, we had talked about this before, that they kind of fit a niche in terms of... Uh, yeah, no, I mean... That, that, the- that New Age Outlaws kind of yeah. tag team where they're an opening. I mean, they, they can go in the ring. Not They're not going to be match of the year quality in the ring necessarily, but they can go and they can entertain in the ring. Yeah. Um, any... Any additional thoughts on that?
0: It's not odd to me that Carmela would come up before Bailey at all.
1: Because okay. Carmella
0: fits, you know, kind of what they usually go for. She's a she's part of the Enzo Amore and Big Cass Act. Okay. So to me, I mean, there's there's no surprise at all. I mean, the whole Bailey should be the next one up thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no, how good I, you are. I, it doesn't matter, you know, what role you have right now. It it matters what they need and who can fill it. Um, so I don't think it's odd at all. I think it's cool. Um, you know, I've been anticipating the Enzo and Big Cass call up for a while. Uh, I don't. I wonder if they debut right after Fastlane. Uh, they could be waiting for after WrestleMania, but if they're not on that Raw post WrestleMania, I would be shocked if they're not up by then.
1: Right, and you need a couple other teams kind of to fill out the multi-team thing as as the tag team divisions. Uh, it's it's thinning out a little bit on the, on the main roster. So I think it's a good addition and uh, I hope the people take to them as much as the NXT crowd. Well, I mean, uh, you got, you got the opening
0: right now, right? I mean, you have uh, again, not to go into too much spoilers, but you have an opening with, right. you know, the Dudley boys, the Usos and the new day, you have an opening where they could easily fit in somewhere in that. So I, I see them coming up soon. I would not be shocked if they're on the raw post fast lane, even, going into maybe a four-team title match of some kind at WrestleMania. But they're coming up.
1: They're coming up. I'd really like to see a New York, New York thing with with those guys and the Dudleys. I think that'd be kind of fun. And you're right about Carmella. They don't have a – do they have a hot blonde on the main roster right now other than Natty, Summer Rae?
0: It depends on what you think about Charlotte.
1: Oh, Um, Charlotte, yeah.
0: Yeah, it depends on what you think about Charlotte there. But, uh, I mean – they're beautiful. What are they? They're sexy, beautiful, oh, no. and oh, the, smart. Oh, the Kelly
1: Kelly thing? Yeah. No, uh, it's like su- sexy, powerful. and Yeah, yeah. What, powerful.
0: Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, powerful. What they were describing the Divas as for so long, right? Yeah.
1: Right. It's Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to do. Uh, Jeff, it is
1: time. I was about to go into it.
0: <laughs> it is time.
1: For ww.com's top 100 matches to see before you die. Number 45 from the bash 2009 intercontinental title versus mask, Chris Jericho versus Ray Mysterio. Rob, give us the context of this match.
0: This was a title versus mask. Ray Mysterio obviously masked Chris Jericho, the intercontinental champion. Uh, they had been feuding for a couple of uh, a couple of weeks, which I think actually spanned two different pay-per-views because this was the time where it was towards the end of the brand extension Ah, uh, this was a SmackDown match at the Bash 2009. They had been feuding over the Intercontinental Title. Uh, the somewhat memorable angle where Chris Jericho was dressed as a Mysterio fan, complete with mask, in the uh, in the entrance ramp, and he beat up Ray Mysterio when Ray Mysterio went to go, you know, connect heads with his fans. Uh, so Chris Jericho was uh, was anti-mask. I think it was extreme rules. One of their pay-per-view matches where they're wrestling for the intercontinental title and Chris Jericho rips the mask off of Rey Mysterio during the six one nine. Rey Mysterio was covering his head in shock and gets pinned with a roll-up, which led to Chris Jericho winning the intercontinental championship in the first place here. And then this match happened. Chris Jericho going in as the champ, Rey Mysterio defending his mask while going for the title. Uh, this, this show in general was interesting for Chris Jericho and, um, The match itself was interesting because it really did seem like they were trying to have, or at least Jericho was, one of those classics. Like, Chris Jericho is a mark for himself, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. You can tell it right now with AJ Styles. This guy wants to work the best guys and have the best matches he can, and it was certainly a night where Chris Jericho tried to have the best match he could.
1: It's odd that you focus on Jericho because, for me, I'm not a big fan of WWE Rey Mysterio. I think Rey Mysterio, once he got there and, and you know, he kind of bulked up due to the steroids. Oh, yeah.
0: No, he bulked up for sure.
1: And, you know, he, he, they kind of put him into the box and he kind of just did matches that, for lack of a better term, he was playing the hits. You know, he'd get to this spot and everything set up to the 619. And for me, he became very boring. I remember the visceral reaction at his match at ECW One Night Stand where he worked WWE style, and they were booing him out of the building. For me, the the good memories of Ray were ECW versus Psychosis in the couple matches there, and WCW, the matches where he had other guys who kind of fit his style. This match, to me, other than the Kurt Angle match, may be my favorite Rey Mysterio WWE match because... He comes in there also, I think, in the same vein as Chris Jericho to have a match unlike his others and also to kind of steal the show a bit. Like when he did the uh, the triple jump moonsault, that was something he hadn't brought out in a while, if I recall correctly, because no, he had he had been having knee, yeah. knee problems and he had been out for a while. So he was really working against type in this match. And, and it was really a fun experience for me to watch that as opposed to every other match, I you'd see week after week he comes out, you know, set up to the six one nine, whatever, and and the reversals here that he and Jericho are doing to one another, I I, I just this match is such a joy to watch for me. I I, I really no, it, love, it
0: was love. really good, and you're right. Rey Mysterio seemed like during his entire WWE run that he was perfectly fine wrestling WWE style, as if like he was thankful. He was was thankful. Thank God I don't have to go too crazy. Thank God I don't have to have the match of the night all the time. I will absolutely work this easier style. No problem. So he was doing that. And then you have this bash match where, yeah, especially the final sequence, it was almost like it was a main event style match in a way where, you know, they were going for finish after finish between the two of them. And then they do the reversals and the crowd just gets sick into it. Um, It it really went pretty quickly, too. It was a 15-minute match. Felt like seven. Felt like shorter. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was really good. Um, And I was surprised. I mean, if you're on the Dave Meltzer scale, uh, Dave Meltzer gave this one four and a half stars uh, easily. And I watched some of the other parts of the show, too, because what's memorable, what's memorable, excuse me, about Chris Jericho on the show is he was a part of somewhat a show long storyline with Teddy Long and SmackDown. You know, Teddy Long, who was the GM of SmackDown, was given a directive to make SmackDown super interesting in the face of the challenges from raw and after Chris Jericho lost the intercontinental title, because Rey Mysterio wins this match, Chris Jericho loses the intercontinental title. Chris Jericho goes back to demand a rematch, right? For the intercontinental championship. Well, earlier in the show edge, who wasn't supposed to be on the pay-per-view was demanding a world title match. So Teddy long, instead of giving them their respective requests, pairs them up and enters them into a tag team title match on that show. And that's where we got the debut of the edge and Chris Jericho tag team champions. So Chris Jericho lost the intercontinental championship to go on and then win the tag team titles. Edge gets hurt later. And we all of a sudden have one of the most memorable tag teams in history. If I may say <laughs> the team of Jericho. show. Big Show, and Chris Jericho. Maybe not. Maybe I over-exaggerated a bit, but they were a really fun tag team, kind of put the tag team titles in more prominence because, you know, Carlito and Primo and then Legacy certainly weren't going to do that. Uh, so it was a fun little angle with Jericho. But yeah, th- this uh, this match itself, we're just looking in a vacuum with this match. Uh, very good. Maybe the last great match of Rey Mysterio's career.
1: Maybe. Um, The commentary, I think it wasn't, Great, but it didn't get in the way. Your team here was Jim Ross and Todd Grisham.
0: Oh, yeah. And how depressed is Jim? I I know, um, you know, with the Bell's palsy and everything, Jim Ross doesn't look You know, pleased much. He doesn't smile. He can't. Uh, So it's nothing there.
1: He's he's on the secondary show, right? But you're
0: looking at his eyes here, and I'm not trying to. I'm not. I'm certainly not making fun of any appearance thing or anything. Like Jim Ross gets a lot of shit because he never looks pleased, and people just don't understand why that is. He has resting
1: bitch face. But
0: then you. But then you look in his eyes, right? You look in his eyes when Todd Grisham is announcing you know, this match and Jim Ross is the color commentator, like he's not even right. the play-by-play guy. And Jim Ross just does not look happy to be there in his eyes. You can tell he's just like, what am I doing next to Todd Grisham as his number two?
1: Well, it's yeah, and it's a shame too because you compare that to other matches we reviewed where he was the quote-unquote color guy, say with Tony Schiavone in WCW and was just such a, or the NWA, and it was such a joy to listen to that you know you can do that but yeah, by this time, it, it's obvious the writing's on the wall of what they think of Ross. So he's not the most engaged here, but he also doesn't get in the way, I think. I right. think, no, I he think did we a, may be he's down Professional.
0: He's a good yeah. professional in this match. Yeah. No, I was just thinking, not even, like, you couldn't tell. If you just listen to the match, you just think it's it's a little weird he's doing color and not play-by-play. Play. But it doesn't sound bad by any means. I'm just talking about how he looked. Like, he was just like, okay, what am I doing here?
1: And Grisham felt a bit intimidated. Oh yeah, because <laughs> imagine
0: if you're Todd Grisham, you have to be the play-by-play guy next to arguably the best play-by-play guy ever in wrestling.
1: Yeah, I we can we can argue that point. I, I I agree, or at least he's the most beloved in terms of WWE recent history. Um, but yeah, so next week our match, Mind Games: Shawn Michaels versus Mankind number 44 on the WWE.com. 100 matches to see before you die. Please join us on our forums over at voices of wrestling, voices of wrestling.com forum. Take a perusal at our articles, voices slash Amazon. We also have discounts on fathead and Otterbox. And I used the one for Otterbox recently. I'm very happy with my Otterbox and my new iPhone. My hat is safe. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old,